Hello, and again, welcome to the podcast. This is the voice of the prophet. Last week's episode was entitled Critical Race Theory. What is it and why is it so hated by so many white Christian Republicans? Quite possibly many of you who listened to that episode on critical race theory may have wondered, why would God tell me to talk about such a thing? Some may have even thought that I had missed it in saying that he did. Remember that usually I release the podcast on Mondays. Once in a great while, if my time is really stretched, I won't get it out until until a Tuesday. In actuality, last weekend, I had my great-granddaughter with me. Whereas she's truly a sweet little girl and exceptionally well-mannered, being a three-year-old, nearly four, she's still a handful. More than once, I considered waiting until Tuesday of last week to release that episode. However, I not only heard God say Monday, he also gave me the time to get it done for that Monday, even though many didn't get it until late Monday evening. I cannot thank him enough for pushing me on that assignment. And even with that push, I still didn't know why, nor did I question the topic of CRT that he gave me for that week, as well as for this week. To put it lightly, I was literally amazed when Tuesday morning, the hearing started for the seating of the first black woman on the Supreme Court of the United States, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. This woman's credentials, as well as her character, are impeccable. Despite the fact that Lindsey Graham and other Republicans had voted for her to fill a vacancy on the D.C.-based appellate court, and Ted Cruz himself had attended Harvard with her, yet the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee treated her with gross disrespect as well as disdain. In spite of her credentials, education, qualifications, and experience being far above all of the other Supreme Court justices, as well as everyone on that committee, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, before the entire world, was handled like a criminal being questioned before a grand jury rather than as the honorable, distinguished judge that she is. Senator Lindsey Graham asked Judge Jackson, was she a Christian in a tone which suggested that she was a streetwalker or a hooker? To his question on her Christianity, she immediately answered yes. He went on with his tirade against her, demanding that she rate her level of Christianity on a scale of one to ten. At this point, all I can say is that Christians have lost their ever-loving minds if they think that this is the type of rhetoric that will glorify the Father. They have missed it completely if Christians think that this is pleasing to God and that this will draw others to Christ. Obviously, this was all for political show with the intent to garner votes. It was to up their ratings, 
After the hatred that was evidenced through the questioning by Ted Cruz, one news outlet wrote about it, and a cameraman even got a shot of it. Ted Cruz immediately checked his Twitter post to look at his numbers and see what his constituents were saying. If anything, this type of so-called Christian exhibit will definitely drive others away from Christ. And you know what I'm going to say next. It's Christians who are destroying Christianity. This woman was badgered on her faith, lies and innuendos about her stance on child pornography, as well as critical race theory, with Ted Cruz using excerpts from books that the judge had never seen or read, taking those excerpts totally out of context. He will use the fear of CRT, which Judge Jackson has never used or supported, as an excuse to vote against her being seated as the new Supreme Court Justice. Following in the footsteps of former, the former president, he's doing all he can do to bring about division in this nation and stoke hatred. But I assure you, if he truly calls himself a Christian, he will stand in the judgment for what he has done. Again, I must say how God continually amazes me as to how he leads and guides me and all that he will do if I only obey. I had no idea that CRT would seem to be the central focus of this so-called Christian Republic Judiciary Committee. But why are they being so adamant about this theory? What are they afraid of? Why are they using this theory in such a way and presenting it in such a light that will cause others to be afraid of it and reject it as well? Why are they so determined not to have it taught or even talked about? What makes them feel that teaching CRT in the schools will cause such detriment to their white society? Basically, CRT has nothing to do with Christianity. Yet, these white, conservative, evangelical Christians just can't let go of it. However, in studying critical race theory, the cruelty, cruelty hatred, hypocrisy and lies perpetrated through the white evangelical churches from the beginning of the time of slavery and that still continues throughout today will be exposed. So more than anything, many white evangelicals are determined that it not be taught in the schools. They are determined that their children will not be exposed to the truth of the dark history of this nation, which will expose their parents and forefathers in what they perpetrated against human beings simply because their skin is black. But again, what is CRT? Let's go back to the article that I quoted from last week published in the online newspaper, Education Week, written by Stephen Sawchuk. And I quote, 
Critical race theory is not a synonym for culturally relevant teaching, which emerged in the 1990s. This teaching approach, he's talking about culturally relative, relevant teaching, seeks to affirm students' ethnic and racial backgrounds and is intellectually rigorous, but it's related in that one of its aims is to help students identify and critique the causes of social inequality in their own lives, end quote. The article continues saying that, and again I quote, as with CRT in general, its popular representation in schools has been far less nuanced. A recent poll by the advocacy group Parents Defending Education claims some schools were teaching that white people are inherently privileged, while black and other people of color are inherently oppressed and victimized that achieving racial justice and equality between racial groups requires discriminating against people based on their whiteness, and that the United States was founded on racism, end quote. Whereas I wouldn't say that all white people are inherently privileged, but I would agree that there is such a thing as white privilege. I have a neighbor who is dirt poor. He doesn't own a vehicle and the house he lives in was left to him. The house is so torn down until there's not even a front door to close. Yet, without a doubt, in some places, this poor white man with absolutely nothing would receive more honor and respect than this black woman who's talking to you right now. The evidence of white privilege is basically what helped coin the name for rude white women, Karen. Also, let me say that I would not only agree that black and other people of color are inherently oppressed and victimized, but I would defend that statement to the utmost. It's amazing as to how such an outcry rises up in opposition to possible or potential racism when it's suspected that it might be against whites. A racism that has not only not occurred, but has not even been suggested. But yet, racism that is real and continues against blacks and non-whites not only goes on, but it is inherently being kept in place and strengthened by many whites. Again, from the article by Stephen Sarchuk, and I, again I quote, thus much of the current debate appears to spring not from the academic text, but from fear among critics that students especially white students, will be exposed to supposedly damaging or self-demoralizing ideas, end quote. Let's talk about demoralizing issues in the lives of young students. Being a woman of age, a black woman, I remember quite well the signs on public service buses that a white person could move so that they could have a seat while black people had to stand. And if a seat became available towards the front of the bus, 
a black person could not go up and take that seat unless all of the seats behind it were empty of white people. You want to talk about demoralizing? I remember the signs on public buildings saying white only or coloreds go to the back. I remember quite well segregated schools and Governor George Wallace, Wallace the former governor of Alabama, Leander Perez of Plaquemine Parish right here in Louisiana, and the hateful, bigoted, racist things they did and, and said with the expressed purpose of keeping blacks under Jim Crow laws. I remember the little girl Ruby Bridges and other little black girls going to school right in New Orleans where I lived and my parents discussing their feelings and fears for them. I recall quite vividly that blacks could not stand up for their rights without fear of being beaten or killed. How well I remember not being able to go into certain stores on Canal Street in the city of New Orleans and try on clothes simply because I am black. And even the Catholic school that I attended with the white nuns and the children were lined up and seated in class according to their skin color. It was always the near whites or passe blancs as they were referred to who were at the head of the lines. Demoralization continues even now. In recent weeks and months, we hear of disputes between whites and blacks, and it's always the whites who are immediately assumed to be right, or the blacks who are assumed to be, to be the bank robbers or thieves. Two kids got into a fight in the mall, one white and one black. The police came in and sat the white kid who admitted that he started the fight on a bench, but throws the black kid on the ground and handcuffs him. Then there's the woman who left her phone in the back of the Uber she had rode in. But she knew without a doubt that the young black kid who had a phone like hers had stolen hers. She actually attacked him physically trying to take his phone, claiming that it was her own. Of course, after the Uber driver returned with her phone and gave it to her, she never apologized or even alluded to the fact that she was wrong. And of course, I still see the segregation and racism in the churches on Sunday mornings. I still remember when Blacks started attending some of the white Pentecostal churches in cities near them, how those very churches began to build in areas far out into the suburbs out of the easy accessibility of their Black members. They didn't mind Blacks getting saved. They didn't mind Blacks giving their tithe and offerings. They just didn't want to worship and praise next to them. Don't talk to me about demoralizing issues when I see white men and women talking to a black woman who's about to be seated as a Supreme Court justice being talked to and handled like she's a common criminal. Discrimination against whites is not required or wanted to bring about equality. However, giving others their equal rights 
the things that inherently belongs to them may very well make whites feel as though their rights and white privileges are being taken away. That's only because they have their rights entangled with and suppressing someone else's. It was a known matter among my sisters and I that if we loaned my oldest sister anything, that you had to be sure to get it back as soon as possible. If you didn't, she would claim it as her own. That was clothes, pots, dishes, or whatever. When she passed, I was given the task of packing her house. As I placed her belongings in different boxes, tears were running down my face with memories of my sister, and I was thinking of how much I was going to miss her. But then I went into her cabinets and began to find dishes, glasses, bowls, containers, and other things that were not only mine, but also belonged to my other sisters. When I went into her closet, I found not one or two of my blouses, but three blouses along with scarves, jewelry, and other items that she had sometime, somehow at some time obtained from me. My sister had had so many of our things for so long that my other sisters and I had completely forgotten about them. My tears went from sadness to laughter when I called my other siblings and told them about all their stuff that I was finding along with my own. The items that I was finding did not belong to my deceased sister in spite of her claiming them, having them in her house, her cabinets, and her closets. They were not rightfully hers. They rightfully belonged to others. Because someone takes something that they like, maybe even love, and keep them in their possession doesn't mean it's theirs, enabling them to deny others their rights to it. Because a thing gives someone comfort or leverage in their lives doesn't mean they can confiscate it from someone else for their own convenience and benefit, especially when what they take and use to their satisfaction is not theirs. Demanding what rightfully belongs to someone else is not racism against the individual it's being taken from. Telling others that an object or item was taken from you is not racism. When I called my other sisters to tell them about their belongings at our older sister's house, I wasn't being mean, wrong, wrong, or hateful against her. I was giving my other sisters what was rightfully theirs. Talking, teaching, and telling others about slavery and segregation isn't wrong, mean, or hateful. It's talking about a history and facts that are rightfully part of the history of this nation. CRT is a part of telling the history of not just black people, but a part of the history of the United States of America. Stephen Sawchuck wrote, 
Legislation purporting to outlaw CRT in schools has passed in Idaho, Iowa, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. I was talking with my oldest son who lives in Mississippi, and he says the governor of Mississippi has just signed that same law into effect, outlawing the teaching of CRT. Stephen Sawchuck says the bills are so vaguely written that it's unclear what they will affirmatively cover. The article continues, could a teacher who wants to talk about a factual instance of state-sponsored racism like the establishment of Jim Crow, the series of laws that prevented Black Americans from voting or holding office and separating them from white people in public spaces be considered in violation of these laws? It's also unclear whether these new bills are constitutional or whether they impermissibly restrict free speech. The article goes on to, to state that it would be extremely difficult in any case to police what goes on inside hundreds of thousands of classrooms. But social studies educators fear that such laws could have a chilling effect on teachers who might self-censor their own lessons out of concern for parent or administrator complaints. As English teacher Mike Stein told Chalk Creek, Tennessee about the new law, history teachers cannot adequately teach about the Trail of Tears, the Civil War, and the Civil Rights Movement. English teachers will have to avoid teaching almost any text by an African-American author because many of them mention racism to various extents. The charge that schools are indoctrinating students in a harmful theory or political mindset is a long-standing one, historians note. CRT appears to be the latest salvo in this ongoing debate. To me, it was seen that many who are in favor of denying critical race theory to be taught on the assumption that it will cause harm to white students are not taking into consideration the harm that black and other non-white students are living with on a daily basis. What those in opposition to CRT are actually saying is, even though it happened, just don't talk about it. They are saying, even though it happened, pretend that it didn't happen. Last week, I shared with you concerning a blog and sermon I entitled Secret Shames. In the message, I spoke about things that occur in people's lives that are absolutely devastating. Some of those things could be rape, molestations, spousal abuse, mental illness, or any number of issues that people secretly deal with in their lives. Yet for many, many years, society taught that those matters were not to be talked about. They were literally the family's dirty little hush-hush, don't tell secret shames. However, as I have stated in the, in the past, 
And again last week, as long as these secret streams are kept secret, they also keep the individual in bondage. And instead of an individual, our circumstance get getting better, it gets worse. So it is with racism in this nation as well as in the church. It's the secret shame, the elephant in the room. It's the dirty little hush hush, don't tell secret shame that no one wants to talk about. And hopefully if it's ignored long enough, it'll go away. No, it won't. During my prayer and devotion time in the mornings with my father, one of the things that I do is repent for my sins. I thank him that not only are my sins forgiven, but that he doesn't remember them anymore. I remember once as a very, very young Christian, remembering a sin that the memory of it brought about such an embarrassment to me. I wondered if God forgets my sins, then why doesn't he allow me to forget them? Immediately, I knew the answer. It's because if he allows me to forget my own sin, then I would be bound to repeat them again. So it is with the secret shames of this nation. If we don't remember the slavery, racism, hatred, bigotry, prejudice, and Semitism in this nation and teach about them, talk about them to our children and our children's children, they will inevitably be repeated again. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of This is the Voice of the Prophet. I ask that each of you would share this podcast with others and always remember that it's available for listening on every podcast server and app. I continue to ask you for your support through your prayers. You can contact me through my email at amieagle at charter.net. That's A-M-I-T-E-E-A-G-L-E at charter.net. And through the Facebook post or Facebook messenger. Thank you again for your prayers and support. And may God bless each and every one of you.